here. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me tonight to uh, Revelation chapter 11? Revelation chapter 11, verses 18 and 19. God rewards his servant, and we're continuing our study as we looked at last week under the justice of the Ark, the Ark of the Covenant, as the scene occurs in heaven. And we've been working our way through the book of Revelation. And God rewards his servants. In illustration here that I have, Bill Bray was a Cornish miner who accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior in the year 1823. At the age of 29, he lived a life of drunkenness and debauchery before his salvation. Debauchery is just living however you want it, very immoral and uh, into all the vices of life. But he became such an outgoing witness and testimony for God that he became known as God's glad man. One time he was digging potatoes from his garden and felt the devil oppressing him. It seemed to him that the devil said, Billy Bray, God doesn't love you. If he did, he wouldn't give you such puny potatoes and so few. But Billy Bray didn't listen to the devil's temptation. He talked back to him. He said, I served you long and true, devil. And no better servant could a master ever have than I was to you. But when I serve you, you didn't give me any potatoes. When I served you, you didn't give me any good effort, any good for my efforts. Billy Bray reminded himself that the burden he had serving Christ was lighter than the one he had serving the devil. The yoke that he wore in partnership with and submission to Jesus was easier than the yoke he wore as one of the devil's disciples. Billy Bray once said, I'd rather be in hell with Jesus than in heaven without Jesus, for hell with Jesus would seem just like heaven to me, and heaven without Jesus would seem just like hell to me. The fact is, he understands, obviously we understand that no Christian goes to hell, but Billy Bray understood, he says, man, when I'm with Jesus, it's all that matters. Because Satan is no friend. Satan is no help. He'll give you the immediate pleasures and leave you with years of scars to bear. As you think on these truths tonight in Revelation chapter 11, verse 18, would you follow along as we read God's word tonight? In verse 18 of Revelation chapter 11, And the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come, in the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants the prophets, and to the saints, and them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth, and the temple of God was open in heaven. And there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament, and there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. Last week we discussed judgment, the universality of justice. The fact is there is judgment and justice, the justice system, all across this world. We've talked about the justice under the law of God. We spoke of the ark of the covenant having the rod of Aaron, the ten commandments in a pot of manna. Inside that Ark of the Covenant, we discussed that being under the Ark of the Covenant, we're under the judgment of God, but there's a mercy seat on top of that Ark. And once a year, as the priest would come into the temple, he would pour the blood on top of that mercy seat, just as Jesus' blood on top of the mercy seat for me forgives me for all the wrongs that I have ever done and that you have ever done if you know Jesus as your Savior. The scene in heaven in the ark depicts for us, all of us are guilty before God. We all need the mercy seat of God. Justice is a part of all that we do and even the friendships we make. Do you realize this, that in in, in the justice that I have in regards to my acquaintances and friendships, all of us are based on a judgment of whether I believe I can trust the other person 
with whom I'm willing to invest my time in. The very friendships I make, can I trust this person to whom I'm going to spend some time? I'm going to invest some time talking. I'm going to invest, I mean, obviously in friendships, there is a reciprocal, uh, you know, reciprocal idea of, of, uh, of camaraderie and just fellowship and encouraging one another. There's a mutual agreement that we, to share. You share your time, your, maybe your thoughts and finances as you help each other out. But there's a companionship in friendship. You esteem or consider by your logic the judgment that the other person is maybe a compatible friend in life. Now, as we get older, our estimations and our worldview changes. And so does our friends. You know what? There are consequences for the friends you decide to hang out with. Do you realize that there is an ultimate judicial review and sentencing by God? Just as you and I make some logical decision, can I trust this person? I want to be a friend with them. Man, we have some commonality and there's some things that we have going together. You know, maybe a person likes cars, another person talks about cars, and, and they form a friendship talking about cars together. And they begin to spend time together. Or maybe it's sports or you know, maybe it's about God. And, and there's things that we have in our life that we all need companions. We all need friends. But we make some judgment on the other person as if that is one whom I can trust. And in the idea of this whole judicial review that's going on in my mind as I'm interacting with people in society, do you realize there's a finalized verdict for your life? What is God's verdict for your life? What is it like if you never accept Jesus Christ as your Savior? What is it like if you decide to become a Christian, but you live your life for yourself? What is the result of that? These are all questions I want to look at tonight. And Realize this, that your life will be judged, and you must do all you can to please the Savior, whose blood was shed for your pardon. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I need you this evening. Father, tonight we're dealing with some topics of judgment. Father, none of us want to be judged. Father, none of us want to have a verdict against us as being lost, thinking we know Christ but not. For those of us as Christians, Father, none of us want to hear that you're not pleased with how we lived our lives. And so, Lord, tonight, may the truths that are presented, as you give from your holy word, Father, may it challenge us on how we're living our lives. And Lord, if judgment was given on my life today, what would be the verdict? Lord, I love you. God, may you get the glory. Thank you for all that you'll do. We commit this time to you. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. As you think about this in verse 19, and the temple of God was opened in heaven, and you remember from the Old Testament, as you think about the temple, the priests would go in once a year, and, and the, every once a year an animal would be sacrificed, and that high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, and he would take the blood of a lamb, and he'd pour it on top of that mercy seat. And in that very fact, we understand that that 
innocent animal for the sins of the people is a picture of what Jesus did for us. Now, in all of this judgment, understand this, that as God told us this, in 1 Peter 2, 23, a little bit of review from last week. I'll, I'll just give a little bit of review and then I'll pick back up. But in 1 Peter 2, 23, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again, speaking of Jesus, when he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Understand this, that when I am judged by God, it's an unbiased, uncompromising, perfect judgment. You know, if you go to court of law and you're in there and you have two lawyers, you have a defense lawyer and you have a prosecuting lawyer, one of, each one of these lawyers is trying to present facts, however they want to skew them, to make, you, make it so that they win. The lawyer wants to win. The prosecuting lawyer wants to throw the book at you. The defense attorney wants to defend you. Hopefully. <laughs> right? And so the truth here, I mean, you're hoping you have a defense attorney that actually has your best interests at stake. Nevertheless, but the fact is, you're hoping all the facts, the true facts, the unskewed facts, the unbiased facts are presented to the judge, and you hope that the judge makes a decision on facts without any prejudice, without any bias. And that's exactly what God does to us. And in 1 Peter 1.17, if you call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work. Pass the time, if you're sojourning here in fear, understand this. In that secret moment, in that darkest of dark places, where you think no one else sees what you're looking at, no one else sees what you're doing, no one else can see inside your mind, God sees it, my friend. God sees everything. And understand this. The Bible tells us in James chapter 4, verse 12, there is one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. Who art thou that judges another? And he's speaking of the very fact that God is the ultimate judge with whom I will stand before. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 9, the judgment was set and the books were opened. Daniel 7, verses 9 and 10, that's the end of verse 10. You can look it up if you like for your own reference. But the fact is, the books were open. Every wrong deed you ever do will be opened up for you. If you do not know Christ. Every bad thought Every bad word, every bad action, every time you got mad, all of these things are going to be laid out in the judgment hall of God in heaven. Look with me at Revelation chapter 20, verse 12. My friend, if you don't know Jesus Christ... And there's never a time in your life where you've been born again. You've accepted that you're a hell-bound sinner. You've accepted that your sin put Jesus on that cross. You've never put your faith and asked Jesus, please forgive me, a wicked sinner, and be my Savior. My friend, there's going to come a day, and I'm going to talk about this here shortly. It's known as the great white throne judgment. Every wrong thing you've ever done will be displayed to the entire population of humanity. That ought to scare you to pieces. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 12. 
And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life, and the dead, this is the non-believer, were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their work. My friend, I don't, you know how we many times try to hide some of our indiscretions, some of our youthful foolishness? It's all going to be displayed that day. You can't hide a thing from God Almighty. Then in verse 15, whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. There are two divisions of people in the world today. There is no races. There is, I mean, there's the idea of the world puts racism, but there's one race, the human race. But in God's category, there's two people. There's the dead who've never accepted Jesus Christ, and there is alive who have accepted Christ by faith and faith alone. That is the only division God ever makes. God doesn't care the culture, the color of your skin, the gender of who you are. He, all He cares about is what you do with Jesus. And the fact is, as we look here, it says the dead were judged in verse 18 of Revelation 11. A little commentary for you. They observe that the time of the judgment of the dead has come. There's a great white throne judgment. That is for the the person who's dead. The person who's never come to life in Jesus Christ. What is the judgment for rejecting Jesus Christ? What is the judgment? The only two categories that God knows is a Christ rejecter and a Christ acceptor. That's the only division God ever makes. It's a black and white issue. A young man was... Converted during special evangelistic meetings held in a, mini, in a mining village. And wanting to do something for God, he bought some tracks and was contributing, distributing them one day when he met some former companions. They decided to deride him, meaning they made fun of him, for his faith in Christ. Hey, can you tell me where hell is? After a moment's hesitation, the newly converted man replied, yes, at the end of a Christless life. And the Bible tells us where hell is. In Proverbs chapter 15, verse 24, would you look with me? I'm going to speak first to those who are dead, who have never accepted Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. If you have Christ, you're alive. If you don't have Christ, you're dead. That's the division. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 15, 24, The way of life is above to the wise. There's heaven. That he may depart from hell beneath. Hell is beneath us. Look with me at Daniel 12. I want to bring you some scriptures on the Bible describes hell. I know hell is not a very convenient topic to discuss. It's not one of those topics that many of us want to consider. It's a terrifying thought. I know Hollywood likes to make fun of hell. I know people like to use hell as a curse word. But I want to tell you, hell is no cursing, vain, trivial matter. It is an eternity. 
It is a judgment for rejecting Jesus Christ. The gift that is free, you can't pay for it. You didn't buy it. There's nothing you can do for it. But all you can do is by faith accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. It's free. You don't need to work for it. You don't need to be baptized. You don't need to be catechized. You don't need to go to some clergy. You can go straight to the throne room of God and you can ask Him, forgive me, a wicked sinner, and Lord, help me. Forgive me of my sins. I need you. It's free, my friend. The Bible in Daniel 12, 1 and 2, And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince, which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame. And everlasting contempt. Do you ever regret actions of your life? Do you ever regret for how you've lived? I want you to understand this, my friend, that this evening, and it could very well be our last time on earth, I could walk out that door, I could even be here and have a stroke or a heart attack and be gone in an instant. I know where I'm going to, but do you? And if you don't know Jesus Christ, you're going to a place where you will regret the decisions of your life forever. Think about that. That is an awful place to be. And there's no getting out. When you're in hell, you can't commit suicide to get out of it. In Isaiah 66, 24, And they shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of the men that have transgressed against me, for their worms shall not die, neither shall their fire be quenched, and they shall be an abhorring into all flesh. This is not one of those feel-good messages tonight, but it's a true message. There's an idea of abhorrence. The fire never goes out. And Jesus said, I don't want you to go there. I don't want you in hell. I want you as my child. And as I talk about this horrors of hell tonight and I talk about the glories and splendor of heaven, my friend, God does not delight in any person going to hell. He came so we don't have to go. Our default state is hell. But God came to give us everlasting life. He says, my friend, you're a judge, you're a sinner, but I don't want you to go there. I'll give my life for your life so that you can have an eternal life. Because I love you. In Psalm 9:17, the wicked shall be turned in hell, and all the nations that forget God. You can live your life however you want. You can believe whatever you want, and that'll send you to hell forever. There's only one way to Jesus. You say, Pastor, you're quite narrow-minded. I'm only as narrow-minded as the Bible is. Matthew 23, 3, ye serpents, ye generations of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? As Jesus said this, he sang this to a lot of religious people. Religion will send you to hell. It's not about, a rela- it's not about religion and following all these do's and don'ts. It's about knowing the Almighty God. Knowing the Savior, Jesus Christ. 
2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and, obey, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. You will never know joy again. Jesus Christ has hope and joy and peace and life and compassion and mercy and grace and the list goes on. But you'll never know that again when this life is over. I want you to look with me in Matthew 25, 41. And I'm talking as I speak tonight. Please don't think I'm trying to be non-compassionate. Don't think I'm like reveling in how horrible it is. It's, it, there's no delight. I'm only telling you what the book says. God's word says. In Matthew 25, 41... Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. See this. God didn't make hell for us. He made it for the devil and the angels. But if we reject Jesus Christ, and you never accept him, you want to believe whatever you believe, God's going to let you. But the decisions you make have consequences. You see, in the religions of the world, many of them might speak of some sort of hell, but they believe it's only a temporary punishment. But the Bible tells us it's everlasting. Just as long as hell is eternal, and heaven is eternal, heaven is eternal, so also is hell eternal. Carol, Carol Fuller was a 72-year-old grandmother living alone in West Hollywood in 1995. During a home invasion robbery, she was locked in a closet. Her home was ransacked, and her car was stolen. All of this took place without anyone knowing, but the worst part followed. Days later, investigators found her in the closet with her fingers cut from trying to claw her way out. And she perished there in the closet. Sadly, Carol Fuller left this world experiencing the horror many may experience for the rest of eternity. You'll never claw your way out. There is no do-over. In Mark chapter 9, 45 and 46, And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Isaiah 5, 14 lets us know that hell is ever enlarging. Hell hath enlarged herself, it says. I want you to look with me at Luke 16. The gift we have in Jesus and the gift we celebrate many times at Christmas and Easter and throughout the year, it ought to never grow old. It's an amazing truth that the God Almighty of heaven I made a mistake. I messed up the world. You messed up the world in our sinfulness. Adam and Eve messed up the world in their sinfulness. But a loving God says, I don't want you to go there. You've messed it up, but I've made a way out. 
My friend, that's a gift. That is a gift. Look with me in Luke 16, 23 and 24. This is talking about the rich man in Lazarus. Verse 23, talking about uh, the rich man. And in hell, he, the rich man, lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off. And Lazarus, who was a very poor man outside his gates, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water. all he wants and cool my tongue for I'm tormented in this flame that's just not some allegory that's truth the Bible goes on to say here's a man who lived lavishly riches galore in life and however many years he lived 50, 60, 70, 40, we don't know. But he lived with a lot of riches. Lazarus was poor, had a lot of swords on him, but he had a faith in Christ. You see, what I might endure here for a temporary time is replaced with the splendor of heaven if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. If you want what, what the world offers you now, which many times is not worth it, it's never worth it, but for the moment it might feel good. But for eternity, my friend, it's not worth it. Here is a man, he says, I just want to drop. I spilled on myself. I just want to drop. I mean, it's like that one drop would hit steam and it'd be gone before it ever quenched. Matthew eight twelve, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Outcast, and, but the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing. Hell has eternal weeping. And guess what? You're all by yourself and you'll never have a companion. You'll never get another hug. You'll never get another kiss. You want to know what's even worse? It's pitch black dark forever. I don't know about you, but I really don't like being in a pitch black place where it's just dark and not one shed of light. I don't like it. It's like all of your senses, you're just like, I don't want to move. I mean, you, I could walk into my own bedroom that I know by the back of my hand, but if it was pitch black, man, our body just goes into alert mode. Now, it doesn't help sometimes. Like, I know when I was newly married, I'd jump out at my wife, ah! you know. <laughs> She'd want to punch me. But we don't like the darkness. You see, those, and during the tribulation period, will receive the mark. And I'll talk about that here in several weeks, but they'll drink of the wine of the wrath of God. Look with me at Revelation 14. I'm just telling you what the Bible says about hell. So the next time you think about using that word hell as a curse word, I want you to have a vivid picture. I hope you don't use it as a curse word, but if that somehow comes out of your mouth, 
I want you to realize it's no trivial matter. It's nothing to joke about. Revelation chapter 14, verse 10. The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured uh, out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. And they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast in his image and who receiveth the mark of his name. There's torment. In hell you'll never fall asleep again. Now, have you ever gone a long period of time without sleep? <laughs> There's some really funny things that start playing on your mind. Now, can you imagine never sleeping? Never a rest. And the words of people who maybe made fun of you, that anger and revenge, you'll never, ever be able to see them again. But yet, that anger and all the emotions that you have, are going to be there. The Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 20 about the lake of fire. Hell will be cast in the lake of fire, which is eternal. Revelation 20, verses 12 through 15. Let's look at there with me. Revelation 20, verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books, he says, the dead, right? So we're now speaking about those who don't know Christ, the unbelievers. Small and great, stand before God. And the books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the book according to their works. I read this earlier. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. It's eternal. The jail, the prison door is shut. The key is thrown away. And your, your fate is sealed. There's a story told of a Jewish woman in New York City who was approached by a Christian worker. He began to tell her of Christ and her need for salvation. He explained that she was a sinner and was going to hell. She cried out, I don't believe in hell! Why not ask the Christian? Because six million of my Jewish brothers and sisters were murders at the hands of Adolf Hitler and his Nazis. I cannot believe they will all go to hell. He then asked her, ma'am, so I suppose that when you get to heaven and walk down the streets of gold, you'll see Adolf Hitler there. Will you tell him hello for me? Adolf Hitler, she shouted. Why, he won't be in heaven. He'll be in hell. Yes, even this woman saw that hell was a right place to punish sinful men. Look with me in Matthew 23, 15. Does it really matter what you believe? Does it really matter what a church believes? Does it really matter for your eternity what you believe? You know, anything will do, right? I mean, we're in kind of a day, everything's relative. I mean, I'm glad it works for you, it just doesn't work for me. Is that a good philosophy for a Christian? Matthew 23, 15. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye compass sea and land to make one proselyte, means someone that believes what they believe. And when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. He says, listen, if you just follow religion, 
You just follow the beliefs of whatever in you're in. He says your judgment is hell if you breathe your last and you don't repent. He calls these religious leaders, the people that know the, the book of the law, he calls them hypocrites. He calls them fake, fake news. <laughs> and that's real fake news. He says, and if you believe wrong, the judgment is hell. Now what is a reward? Let's get to the positive here. It talks about the rewards of the servants, the living. You know, your salvation begins with a fearing of the judgment of God. You realize where you belong, what you deserve. You realize the judgment of God upon you. In Psalm 115, 13 and 14, He will bless them that fear the Lord, both small and great. The Lord shall increase you more and more, you and your children. There's a blessings to fear the Lord. The fear of God, of a judgment that I'm guilty, that His gavel's going to come down, should I breathe my last, that I am a guilty sinner, that ought to scare me spitless, or whatever you want to put in there, but it ought to scare you to death. The fear of God and I come before him and I just say, God, I need to be saved. You realize this. But it's, it's not this, but I mean, I understand my judgment. I understand his compassion. I understand the love of God for me, the gift. Realize this, that every generation of believers receives God's mercy rather than his justice. Luke 1, 15, his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. I say what the Bible says. You say, Pastor, you don't have to believe what I'm saying. But if you come to this book and you look at it, I'm telling you, the book's going to say what I'm saying. God's mercy. I sure like it. There's been times, yes, I've had it, you know, you get pulled over by a police officer and you've done something. And he said, I could give you a ticket, but I'm willing to let you off this time. And you're like, wow! You're thankful. That's mercy. And even more so, and God's mercy is on them that fear him. You know, I pull over with the lights come on. I'm like, well, it's going to be worse if I don't pull over at first. Realize this, Revelation 19.5, And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. There is joy. And for the Christian, we'll stand. We won't ever, the Christian will not be before the great white throne judgment. Hallelujah. I'm not going to have to stand there with all the book of, you know, the works, all of my works open. Because it's going to say, paid in full. Jesus paid it. Jesus wrote all that I've done away, and it's wiped clean because he wiped it clean. I couldn't do it. I could never be good enough because I'm already under the ju justice system. If, you do, if I went out and I robbed a store, at gunpoint, let's put it, make it bad, okay? If I did that, 
And I come to the judge, and I'm like, judge, I'm a really good person. He said, I don't care how good you are. You're a criminal. But judge, shh, you did wrong. I'm already condemned. I already have. A, you know, I mean, obviously the whole, I'm waiting for the verdict. But nevertheless, I have charges pending against me. I'm not innocent until proven guilt, until proven innocent. But if they have cameras and videos in my face and my fingerprints and all that, I'm guilty. But for those of us as Christians, we will stand not at the great white throne judgment for hell, we'll stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And the judgment seat of Christ. Look with me at 2 Corinthians 5.10. Now, as a Christian, you cannot lose your salvation. Once you're a child of God, you can't lose it. Because the salvation never depended upon you in the first place. So if you can lose salvation, then salvation depends upon you, not the final, finished work of Jesus Christ. If it's a gift, you don't work for it. If you have to work for the gift, then it's not a gift. It's something you bought. And the Bible tells us it's a gift, Romans 6, 23. And other passages of Scripture. In 2 Corinthians 5, 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, he's talking to believers, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Now, what does this mean? Now, the Bible tells us in Revelation 1, 6, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Kings and priests. I get a rule and reign with Jesus Christ someday. But as a Christian, I can't lose the gift of eternal life. I can't lose that because it never depended upon me in the first place. But I can lose the pleasure of God towards me. I have a dad. Maybe you have a dad. You might not know him, but you have someone that was a biological father. Maybe you had a dad figure that was actual dad in your life. Whatever the case. But I have a dad. And if my dad came up to me and said, I'm so disappointed in you, and that was crushing. I mean, it would just literally like crush you, crush me. I hated to displease. But if my dad or my mom came to me and they said, wow, I'm so proud of you. You're like, whew, I did something right for once. And as we talked about in that last song that we sang, Understand this, the Bible tells us. You will either lose rewards and you will lose pleasing God or gain pleasing God on how you live your life now as a Christian. Look with me at Luke 19. So this whole judgment at the end of Revelation 11, the judge, the dead and the alive, Luke 19. And we as believers ought to be some of the happiest people alive. 
to joy as people. We ought to be. This ought to be our disposition. Because I don't need to face what the world's going to face. Luke 19, 20. And another came, saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin. For I fear thee, because thou art an austere man. Thou takest up that thou layest not down, and reapest that thou didst not sow. And he saith unto him, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest that I was an austere man, taking up that I laid not down, and reaping that I did not sow. Wherefore, then gavest not thou my money into the bank, that at my coming I might have required mine own with usury. What is he saying here? He's saying, listen, if I gave you money... And all you did was dig a hole in the ground and put your money in the ground. The boss is saying, hey, why didn't you at least put your money in a bank where you could get a little bit of interest? That's at least a smart way, right? Get a little bit of interest. Make a little bit of money on that money. That's what usury is, interest. And he said unto them that stood by, take from him the pound and give it to him that hath ten pounds. Here's the thing. If you're, we can take what God gives us, the gifts that God gives into my life, the ability to minister to others, and every one of us are different. But I can take the gifts that God gives to me and I can squander it in selfish living. And when I stand before, he says, out of thine own mouth will I judge thee. God's saying, out of by your own mouth, by your own actions, and your selfishness for yourself, I'm going to judge you as a Christian. Now again, you don't face hell, but you will face the displeasure of the Father. And that ought to break our hearts. I don't want to make my daddy in heaven displeased with me. Man, I hate it. When I was a young kid, if I had my grandparents say I'm disappointed in you, man, that would have literally crushed me. If I had my grandmother with whom probably, I mean, I, I love my grandmother to pieces. She's now with the Lord. But if I had her say I'm disappointed in you or I never want to see you again, and that would, I, I can't even imagine And God says, you wicked servant. You know, in 1 Corinthians 9.25, every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible crown. I, I, I'm not living this life to just have a nice bank account and have people go, woohoo! <laughs> you know, God doesn't care in your bank account. But he does care how you live your life. Do you live your life for Jesus? Do you live your life doing what's right? Do you live your life with a daily time in this book, hearing God speak to you? I mean, it's like a daily date time with my father. I want to hear from him. He wants to hear from me. The corruptible crown is living life for the here and the now. The here and the present. The, that which just makes me happy. Now there's nothing wrong with some joy. But the joy, any happiness the world can give does not compare with the satisfaction and the contentment inside that God can give. Look with me at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. 
I am getting close to the conclusion here. And I know this has been a heavy sermon tonight. Just preaching verse by verse as I work my way through Revelation, 2 Timothy 4.8. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge. What does it mean by the righteous judge? It means he sees all the evidence. Shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. You will get the crown of righteousness. If you live your life in light of the fact that Jesus could come back any moment. Which means you live your life with an eye on eternity, not just the present. I will have a crown of righteousness and so will you. Let's look at another crown that you can have. James chapter 1, verse 12. These are just blessings. These are like toppings on the cake that we as believers get to have. If I live my life for Jesus, James 1.12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, hey, the temptation comes. Maybe you've struggled in a particular area in your life, and that very thing that you struggle with, and many times you're like, oh, I need to give this up. I really need to give this up. And then that temptation comes, and you're like, no, I'm not giving in. I'm going to do what God tells me to do. And so you begin. And I was talking to someone today about temptations, and I said, you've got to replace the temptation with the truth of the Bible. Start memorizing some scriptures to deal with that temptation. Nevertheless, uh, on this, but for the temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised them that love him. Ah, no to this temptation. No to the wrong way. Jesus, I love you. I'm going to say no to the immediate pleasures, and I'm going to say yes to Jesus. The Bible tells us you get the crown of life just for loving Jesus. In 1 Peter 5, 4, and when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. There's a pastoral crown of glory, but you see, we as believers can have some crowns. And we've talked about it before, but someday, remember as a little kid, maybe you were we were all little kids at one time. <laughs> but as a young child, I don't know if you ever did this, but did you ever make a picture or something nice, some art, some craft, something? And you were so excited in making this particular craft, picture, whatever. You had in your mind, I'm going to do this for someone special. And you have an opportunity, so you spend all your time on whatever this craft or art or whatever is, and you give it to that person. Why did you give it to them? Because you love them. Because they meant something to you. You see, someday, Christian, God will give me the crowns and give you the crowns, and then I have an opportunity to take those crowns and give them back to the Lamb of God. The investment of my life I can give back to the one who redeemed me from the ultimate punishment. 
Here's rewarded people. In conclusion, just before the death of actor W.C. Fields, a friend visited Fields' hospital room and was surprised to find him thumbing through a Bible. When he asked what he was doing with the Bible, Fields replied, I'm looking for loopholes. The truth is there are no loopholes in the Bible. Either you accept Christ or spend an eternity in hell. The truth is all people face judgment before God. The question is whether their penalty for their sins has been paid. Has the verdict been satisfied? The verdict is either satisfied by an eternity, you spending eternity in hell, or what Jesus has done. The verdict has to be fulfilled. If you were to do something wrong and the judge gave you a verdict, you must obey. Now, you could try to do another law, lawsuit, another court case, try to appeal it, go on and da-da-da-da-da, right? You can try to fight it. But I want to ask you, has the verdict for your transgressions been satisfied by the judge of all? Are you dead? Are you alive? Is Jesus Christ your resurrection and life? Or are you dead to Christ? The Bible tells in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, the latter portion of behold now is the accepted time. Behold now is the day of salvation. There's no time to delay. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. And if you're a Christian tonight, it's time to stop living for ourselves, get busy for the Lord. I want the crown of righteousness. I want the crown of life. Man, I want to give it back to Jesus. I hope you do. I hope you want to give Jesus because you're looking for him to return. You're saying no to temptation. The no to temptation would be like my wife. If I were to have some woman that was trying to seduce me, and I said no to the woman, but I said yes to my wife, I'm saying I love my wife, and I'm saying no to this seductive woman. Jesus says, I want you to say no to the seductive world, and yes to me. No to the temptations. That's what he's saying. We must stop living for our lust, stop living for our, our hobbies, and s- live for Jesus. We will lose our crowns if we only live for the weekends, only live for the pleasures. It is time to be obedient. If you've never been saved, it's time to get saved. Ask Jesus, forgive you of all your sins and be a Savior. If you are saved and you're not baptized, you need to be baptized. Now, if you're baptized, it's time to join a church. Start serving the Lord. You're going to have to give an account for how you've stewarded your life. Why don't we stop living for self and do something for Christ? We're going to stand before Him, every one of us. You can't escape it. The judgment hall is coming. But what a day it'll be when He'll say your debt is paid. Your sin is satisfied. And then if he were to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. It's not about being some great person. It's about an opportunity to have a relationship with the creator God, Jesus Christ, who died on that cross because he loved me and he loved you so much. It's a gift. And Christian, man, see that day with him.
It's really hard sometimes to battle our own selfishness. But the desire of my heart is I would please Christ. Will you hear? Well done. If I could have Mrs. Pat come forward this evening, please, for the time of invitation. Christian, I know, friend, I know this has been a pretty heavy sermon tonight. It's the Word of God. You either fear God for salvation or you'll fear God for eternity. We'll still fear Him in heaven, but we'll have a proper appreciation and love for Him. What are you going to do with Jesus tonight? As the music plays, we're all under the justice of the ark. We're all under the justice of guiltiness. The Bible tells us if you've never accepted Christ, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's simply, if, you want, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, it's asking God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm guilty. I know the punishment for my sins is hell. God, I recognize that. I understand that. And I know I can't be good enough to get to heaven. God, would you forgive me and be my Savior? And a recognition of my guiltiness and His holiness and His perfection, I ask Him to forgive me. And you know what? He will not deny you. If you will, from the genuineness of your heart, repent. My friend, you'll be born again. You'll be a child of God. And then you can call God your Father. And Christian, it's about time. I don't want to stand at the judgment seat of Christ, which is only for believers. I don't want to stand there and have him take the rewards and give it to another. I'd sure like to hear him be pleased with how I've lived my life. You see, if you love him, that'll be the desire of your heart. If you love yourself, you'll lose much. Maybe tonight, God's working on your heart, and you just ask God, help me to live in a way where I'm anticipating his return, saying no to temptations, because I want to hear, well done. It's a few moments longer as the music plays, and we'll come to an end here shortly. Our life is short. Eternity is forever. Where will you be when your time is up? If you'd like to know more, I'd love to meet with you and show you from the Bible how you can know for sure. It's a wonderful truth. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this evening. Lord, this has been a very sobering message. Father, eternity is beyond the scope of my mind. But Lord, I take your word at what you say at face value. And I'll trust you. Lord, I yield tonight to you and I pray, Father, if there's anyone here tonight that is not saved, that has never had a time in their life where they've accepted Jesus as their Savior, that tonight they would call out to you, ask you to forgive them of their sins and be gloriously saved. And Father, for those of us as Christians, may we evaluate our lives. Am I living in light of your soon return? Am I living in light of saying no to the temptations and yes to I love Jesus? 
Father, help us to live with a proper fear of God, a love of God, and a service to God. And Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love. And God, the fact that you gave us what nothing else could ever pay, what a blessing that is. And so, Lord, help us as we go out to be your ambassadors to a world needing the hope of the gospel. I love you. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. God bless you.